0: The Olympics have um, gotten started and are underway. I don't know what your favorite event is. Um, I-, I like watching women's softball. I just I, l- I love the pitching, uh, and just the whole style of that. It's a lot of fun. There is an undermentioned, underwatched category. Probably a lot of you don't even know about it. It's the um, running across a field with your border collie uh, competition. And uh, I was training. that, it looked good. I was hoping for at least silver, and um, I broke my toe, Uh, and then uh, it was beginning to heal, and then I re-broke it, I think. So, I'm going to remain seated today. I'm out of the competition for this year, but hopefully, I'm going to be back. Uh, And and this injury, you know, a a lot of the people in my age category, they're, they're prone to this. So, Um, I hate that I missed that, but, uh, you know, there's always next time. We are in the second part of a series uh, called Come and See, and what we're doing is just really walking through the gospel of John. Uh, I told someone this morning, a friend this morning, I said, you know, it seems like wherever I'm reading at the moment in Scripture, oh, that's my favorite Scripture, you know how that is? You know, like if... uh, Whatever you're doing, and uh, but I, I, my heart and my, I just always come back to John, my entire Christian experience, John has been sort of this go to place, so I can almost say um, with without hesitation or exaggeration, I think this is my favorite place to be is in this book. so anyway, I hope you enjoy this I'm enjoying the study. Uh, for this, and I've actually put together a bibliography of what the resources I'm using—about 16 resources, commentaries, and so. And if you would like that, if you want to study along, I hope that you would at least read along with us. And um, I told Kevin uh, a few weeks ago, I said, "I'm just going to frustrate you to death because I'm going to go in 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 fits and in, in spurts, and you know, I'm going to go slow and then maybe go fast." But I'm going. at at a pace that I feel like God wants us to to go to to develop the scriptures, So it's a different kind of series. Let's begin reading where we picked up, um, where we left off last week. We were talking about the fact that the Word was there in the beginning, that the Word, Jesus, was there in the beginning. We talked about what that means and how that was before history, before anything, before... uh, everything, that He created everything, and everything was created in Him, and that He was, the Word was, face-to-face, literally. That's what that says. He was face-to-face with God, and that He was God. That's a big truth to comprehend, because this is staggering that this had never happened, you know, and we had never related to God or understood Him in that way. So, picking up in verse 6 today, it says this, there was a man Verse nine says that Jesus was the true light, and that's not just in the sense when I think of true, the uh, you know you think of the uh, the, the opposite of that. Uh, thank you, uh, which is false. You know, if it's not true, then it's false. But this carries a little bit. It means that, but it's it's a little bit of a different emphasis. He's not just the opposite of the false or the fake light, but he is the perfect, radiant light that's accurate, that, that causes all the other lights uh, to dim. Like It's like when a carpenter, or maybe someone who works in a, in a steel place. I worked in a steel place for a while. And, you know, when something lines up and the boards fit together, the board is straight, you look at it and you say, that's true, you know, that fits true, that fits straight. Some of you know that language in, in that atmosphere. If you're an artist... You can look at a color and you can say, okay, that's true blue. That's a true green. That's a true red. And what do you mean when you say that? You mean it's spot on. You know, because there's all these variations, say, of the color blue. And you think, well, that's a, a this blue or that blue. And you look on the color wheel and you see, wow, there's so many variants of that. You know, and just so many options. But there's one that's right in the middle that's perfect. And you say, that is blue (laughs) so you get the idea that when it says that jesus is the true light he's the real deal and he's the one who gives light and this is a concept that's a little bit hard for me to wrap my mind around because when i think of light i usually think of the source of the light right but it's not just the source of it it's the presence of it's what light does so good it's what light does how it feels in it's hard to control in this room Um, that's been a blessing for us in so many ways to have these views i love this room Uh, but it's difficult if we try to create a mood or an atmosphere we can't do it because of these windows but you understand you've walked into a darkened room and try to feel your way around and if you're you know if you know the room and you know where the furniture is or the objects are you can kind of maneuver around like you know as, as you feel forward but you can't see it doesn't mean that the reality of the things is not there they are there you just don't perceive them because they're not illuminated that's what light does You see, it makes known what is there. And that's what Jesus does. He gives us this manifestation, this illumination of who God is. God was always there. And now he has a face. He has a name. He has a personality. There are specific words. He is he's lit up he's we see him because of the light of Jesus that's what this word means when it says which gives light it's the word uh, fotizo fotizo it's it's where we get our word photograph Uh, Photosynthesis, you know, there are so many words that begin with that prefix, not just in the English language, but in other language, in Latin languages, in European languages. It just kind of crosses over because it's literally the light that he brings into the situation, into the world so that God can be seen and understood. We don't have to bump around spiritually in the dark anymore we can see him and we can know him through Jesus that's what he did just a phenomenal thing but it says that even though he did that and that he had already brought light in the sense to the universe because he had created humans he, he made all of this and so that's a certain kind of light in itself that he brought but it says he brings this light of God into our world but the world did not know him. Now, it wasn't that he was incognito. It wasn't that they were just like, oh, that was him? I didn't even know. Have you ever been in the same place with a celebrity and you didn't know they were there? Maybe somebody taps you on the shoulder and goes, look, look, look. And you look over and, oh my goodness, you know, and it's, Beyonce. <laughs> it's a famous person. It's a celebrity. Is she still out there? Um, you know, and you didn't know, you weren't aware of it, but that person you know, was there. It's like God has been here, but Jesus makes him aware. It says the world didn't know it. It's not exactly that they didn't know. It's that they chose not to know. There's volition in this verb. It says, they, they, I don't want to know. I don't want to know. I don't want to see. Don't tell me anymore. If your doctor ever tried to begin to explain something to you, maybe you needed a procedure done or a surgery, and they said, you know, and there's different types of personalities. I'm the kind of person that wants to know everything. You know, my, my wife had a brain tumor, and they said, we're going we're gonna to go in. There's no way to get this out except through a surgery. And she said, that's all I need to know. <laughs> Thank you. I said, I want to know everything else. I want to see the MRI. I want to see the pictures. I want to research. I want to read books on the brain now. I want to know everything about it. But the world said, we don't want to know Jesus. We choose not to know him. Verse 11 says, he came. This is is really an interesting verse. And we don't don't get on the surface, the, the deeper concept here. It says, he came to his own. And his own did not receive him. Now, I'm rough in my skills in the original language, but I can hammer it out. And John is one of the, uh, the, the, the easier books. So you, you could almost accurately translate this as that Jesus came home. God came home. He came back to his own house that he had created. And the people there, his own home, rejected him. He wasn't an alien or a stranger. He was family. They could peek out. They could look and see, oh, it's Jesus. He belongs here. This is his house. This is his home. Some of you... Most of, I think all of us actually, whenever you face and feel rejection, you can look to Jesus. He understands. You know, Hebrews said, there's no temptation, there's nothing we've lived through that Jesus doesn't get because he lived through that too. It's always fascinated me. And even though there are times you feel alone in the world and you feel so rejected, I want you to know Jesus was rejected by his own people. Rejection is one of the, if not the most powerful emotions that we can feel. It's incredible. I would say if you've ever talked to a counselor or to a therapist, they would tell you, that 90% of the people that they help bring healing to face rejection and are suffering in some way from rejection. It goes deep. It creates uh, horrific wounds in our hearts that cause us to experience sadness and anxiety long after the event or the moment. It just echoes and reverberates and then it pushes through into other areas of our life that are completely disconnected disengaged from the place where we felt rejection but we fear that in other relationships and in other arenas and you know this we will go to great lengths you will behave in ways and do things and be things and 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 all of that simply to avoid ever being rejected again because it hurts so much. It changes our life, the trajectory of our future, our personality is affected by it, especially when it comes from people we love if someone disagrees with me and they don't like me, you know football's going to start up pretty soon. If I'm sitting near some fans from another SEC team and they are cheering against me, I don't feel rejection so much. You know, I, I, they weren't they weren't in my family. They're not a part of my tribe, my you know, my clan, but when it's someone who I need the respect of, or the love from, then it affects me. You see? You see, we were, I did about three trips to Eastern Europe. We, back in the 90s, were going to Romania, and I'll never forget, and I've probably shared this with some of you before, we were in a village called Horia one night. And uh, we had been there a couple of times before, and we'd gotten to know some of the people. Now, the distinctive thing about this particular village is that it was just dominated by the orthodox religion, the old Greek orthodox um, uh, presence was there. Uh, The the chairman of the school board, uh, the mayor of this little town, all the prominent people... Uh, The priest himself was very, very influential uh, in this place. And needless to say, they did not like evangelicals. They did not like the evangelical pastors. They did not like, um, you know, short-term missionaries coming in and saying, this is, you know, what you should believe and all of that. They just, they really didn't. And they would work. Those of you who've been, you you can testify with me. They would sabotage, you know they would say, "No, you don't have permission to do this, and this is not going to happen, and you can't set up there because of this ordinance or this. They would make up rules, and it was a very difficult situation because of that persecution, but we would preach and teach as best we could through uh, through the churches and the pastors there. There was one young lady, she was a teenager. And she came to one of the meetings early in the week and saw the light. I mean, just the illumination of God and realized that all these rituals and religion that she had been, you know, trusting in her whole life just just fell away. It, just, it wasn't the true light, you know. It was the fake light. And, and she gave her heart to Christ. I was there. I remember her sincerity. She was about 15 years old. Um... And her father met with her in, in their little house. And he told her, okay, you can just quietly believe whatever you want to believe. But don't give any outward show to that. And what he meant was, don't go get baptized. Don't be baptized as an evangelical. As a Baptist or whatever. Um, because in, in that thinking, and it's, it's kind of that way here, but we're just a lot more subtle about it, you could sort of, you know, you could believe what you wanted to believe and maybe kind of talk about it, and you'd be tolerated. But once you stepped forward and were baptized, you were out there. This is your way of coming out as a Christian and declaring yourself in a relationship with Jesus and that's what people would note as, okay, they're serious about this. And we didn't try to coerce her or because we knew there would be consequences. But toward the end of the week, we were having a service where there was going to be baptism. She showed up. Someone brought her uh, in a, one of those little small pickup trucks. And everything she owned was in the back of that truck. She said, I've made my decision. My father said he'd always love me, but if I get baptized, I'm no longer welcome in my home or to my family. They have rejected me. And they were pressured to do so by the local uh, priest. I'll never forget standing there. I was a youth minister and, and just loved students and and just saw the courage of a 15-year-old girl standing there beside this little truck with everything in her world there, willing to say, I give that up, I give up, and I will endure the rejection of my own family. And she says, I still love my family. She had siblings, she had a mom, and the mom cried and cried and cried. But they rejected her because of Jesus that just made such an impression on me because I think I've been rejected. I think I've experienced that. She really has, and at such a young age. And Matthew, you remember we talked last week about the fact that there are these four Gospels. There's Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Matthew, Mark, and Luke are very similar in their approach and the way that they present the story of Jesus. And they all start with the baby in Bethlehem and they go chronologically through the life of Christ. John <laughs> takes a completely different route. He begins with a philosophical Greek word, you know, the word, the Logos of God. And so he comes at it from a fresh, new, you, you know, a very different kind of uh, angle. But in Matthew, uh, 21 and in mark 12 and in luke 20 the synoptic gospels there's uh, a lot of the same stories you know pop up from their viewpoints and one of those is the parable of the wicked husbandman or the bad tenants because most of us think what's a husbandman (laughs) we don't use that that language much but in the story there was a landowner uh, and he planted a vineyard he put a wall around it. He dug a wine press, and he built a watchtower. Then he rented out, you know, he subletted, you know, the, the the vineyard to some farmers who moved in and began to kind of work the place, and he moved away uh, to a different location. Now, when harvest time approached, he sent his servants To the tenants to collect uh, the fruit, you know the rent. It it was time. The tenants who actually hasn't haven't done anything uh, seized the servants. I mean, these are violent people. Um, They're they're just just evil people. They they beat one, they killed another, and they stoned a third. These three servants. So, he waited a while, and then he sent more servants to them, uh, thinking, wow, I don't know what to to do to get their attention. So, he sent more than the first times, and believe it or not, the tenants treated them the same way. So, last of all, he thought, I've got to get, I've got (laughs) to, so he sent this envoy that included his own son, his own son. And he said this, they will respect my son. And I think he's being amazingly tolerant up to this point um, for this kind of behavior. I would have already gone, you know, all Memphis on them. Uh, But they, they, uh, he he says, surely they'll respect my son. There's a window, maybe we can, I don't know how this is going to work out. But incredibly, when the tenants saw the sun they said to each other this is the air this is the sun and here's their idea because this is the way evil works this is the way wickedness works they they had this idea let's kill him (laughs) let's kill him and we'll take his inheritance And I don't understand the culture, I don't understand how in the world they ever thought that was going to work out, like kill the son, oh, we get the inheritance. But that was their plan. So they took him, and they threw him out of the vineyard, and they murdered him. So Jesus asked, therefore, when the owner, and you can feel the emotion of the crowd that he's telling this story to, and they're, they're just... You know, they did what? Then they did what? And they did what? I mean, they're just at this point. So Jesus says, so th- therefore, when the owner of the vineyard comes, when he comes himself, what will he do to these tenants? And the people began to shout back because by this point, they're caught up in the movie, so to speak, in the book, in the story. And they're like, oh, I'll tell you what I would do. You ever said that? I'll tell you what I'd do if I was him. I'd do. I mean, this is turning into a Clint Eastwood movie real quickly here. They said this, he will bring those wretches, which is an underused word in our society, the wretches, those wretches to a wretched end. <laughs> They weren't trying to re- look at their thesaurus. They just said, those wretches will bring them to a wretched end. Wretchedly, we, they replied. And they said, and then he'll rent the vineyard to other tenants who will give him his share of the crop at harvest time. They were saying, this means war. Go home and get your weapons. Jesus said to them, Have you never read in the scriptures? The stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. The Lord has done this, and it is marvelous in our eyes. And he goes on, he says, therefore, I tell you that the kingdom of God will be taken away from you and given To a people who will produce a fruit. Anyone who falls on this stone will be broken to pieces. Anyone on whom it falls will be crushed. Now he's glancing over at the Pharisees, he's glancing over at the chief priest. He's talking to and about the religious leaders that are there on the fringe of the crowd. They're the ones who do not receive him. You can be very religious. I spoke to a, a young lady recently, you know, and, and, and I, and I asked, are you, are, you, are you Christian? Are you a follower of Jesus? Oh, no. Oh, no. But I'm very spiritual. And Isn't that a curious thing? We, we hear that more and more. You can be spiritual. You can be religious. But be re- rejected would be rejected in verse 12 John says however that to all who will receive him who believe in his name then they will receive the right to become the children of God there's a lot packed into that sentence Here, right in the very first chapter, the beginning of the gospel, John wants to be clear and he presents this concept of either rejecting Christ or receiving Christ. There's not an in-between place. There's not an undecided category or box to check. There's not this option just gonna remain neutral about Jesus I think he's a nice guy I don't have anything against him but do I receive him no I really don't and maybe you're there that's not an option you know if I were to say you know I really don't want to sit I'm not going to sit on this platform I don't like it up here You know, I'm not gonna sit here but I'm not going to sit on the carpeted floor either. I'm going to remain neutral about where I sit. And you would smile to yourself and think, how are you going to do that? You've got to be in one place physically. I've got to be in one place or the other. I can't be neutral with my physical presence. You would get that. Okay, okay, The same thing is true spiritually. You see, I'm rejecting the carpeted area. (laughs) I'm receiving the wooden platform. I want you to understand that because I think this has become very vague, very fuzzy and smoky in our generation. We think we can live in this in-between, invisible place. No. You're either living a life where you are rejecting Jesus or you are receiving Jesus. The idea of receiving Jesus is biblically valid. What got me started on this is the coincidence that I'm, I'm reading this passage and I'm thinking about this whole idea of receiving Jesus. It's familiar language to my generation because if you've ever been to a Billy Graham crusade or something else you've you've heard this you know and to receive Jesus and you may think oh, what does that that mean but here it is and what got me started thinking about it was that I heard a politician this week in, in a speech from the floor of one of our important political buildings <laughs> try to use this term child of God, say, well, we're all children of God. We're all children of God. And in my faith system, that I am a woman of faith and that I believe it this way, but we're all children of God. I mean, it sounded very much like my generation, you know, the 70s, where we're, you know, cuckoo, and everybody and everything. And it's just kind of this universal uh, idea. And she was using that to make a political point or to try to sway people to believe like she did using the platform of religion. And I understand what she means, and I understand that she's probably sincere in that belief. And I'm just going to rock your world a little bit because I think you're comfortable when we say that. Well, we're all children of God. And it sounds sentimental, and it sounds romantic and peaceful and kind hearted and like a coke commercial and, and and I understand that that it's it's familiar folks there is a sense that humans are not automatically naturally god's children but they must choose to be so. Whatever else you think about this week, if you're not a follower of Christ, I want you to think about that. Because it happens when we believe in Jesus and receive him. That's what John says in this chapter. It literally means, I love this word when it says the right to become you know, the children of God, it doesn't use a typical word for child. It uses a word that means one of the born ones. In other words, you become just as if, or the same as, you become literally born over again, and now you're born to God. You see, before... You were uh, this new birth. You get this new start, this new beginning, and you have a completely, you know, I always think about my salvation in terms of where I'm headed, you know? If you've heard sermons on hell and you think, my salvation is about my future. But what John is saying here is, no, your salvation is about your origin. It's about your birth, and you're getting a new birth. You see, you were born in Adam. And you're just like your father Adam. But but when you receive Jesus, you're born again. That's erased. And now you're born in Christ. This means you've got a new future, but it also means, this is going to just blow your minds, you've got a new past. You're not rejected anymore we're going to talk about that more. There's so much to say. You know, I'm going to wait until we get to the third chapter just to unpack that for you. But, But you're not rejected. You are received. You're received. If you've ever been to Chuck E. Cheese, you know it's torture for adults. You know, it's just, I don't know how a child... There's so much sensory, thing. I mean, there's lights and noise and children and, ah, you know, it's, and some of you, maybe you love it, you know, but it's just so much going on. And we were there for a birthday party with one of my children, and this little girl whom I n- had never seen before, you know, I'm watching all that's going on and maintaining my sanity, and this little girl just turns and runs and just jumps up in my arms. And so I just, I, I just grab her, and we look at each other, and I'm thinking, I don't know you, well, then the thought came to her, I don't know you. <laughs> and obviously, I'm not who she thought I was. And she just screamed. And then I think, oh, no. And I'm just like <laughs> rejecting this child. Because what am I thinking? I'm thinking, oh, the police are going to show up. I'm going to be on the front of the new sentinel tomorrow. You're going to And I think, ah, oh, I think, go away from me, cute little child. Go away. You know, I, I reject thee. You know, and it just you know, kind of... Uh, but she recognized, you know, I'm not who, you know, and, and, and I'm not, I'm not that. And maybe you feel like that sometimes, you know. I want you to know you're not rejected. You you are received, and you have a brand new life. It's an, another game changer. And some of you, even some of you who've walked with Jesus for a long, long time, it's going to be almost too good to be true and incredible, and you barely can believe it for yourself. God won't ever judge you for your past because he already has. That's already been done. You know, if you get a speeding ticket and you go to court and you settle it and you pay the fine or whatever, and the judge says, now, we need you to come back tomorrow and we're going to judge this ticket again, you'd go, oh, no, 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 wait, wait, wait. I've already paid the fine. (laughs) You can't keep. no. And then we're going to do it the next day too. In fact, I'm just going to judge you for the rest of your life for this ticket. I'm going to hold you accountable, and you're just going to keep paying that fine. You'd say, no, I committed the offense, and the fine's been paid, and that's the end of it. Some of you have a hard time believing that when it comes to the Lord. But that's exactly what's happened. He has previously judged all of your sin at the cross, and he found your guilt in Jesus, and he punished it there. He dealt with it there. He says in verse think, first, excuse me, verse thirteen, that when we receive Him, we are born not physically—we've already been there—not emotionally, but spiritually. He's saying, "Yes, you not, not of the blood, you know, not of the will of man." Or the, he said, "But from God." He said, "Okay, you are physical. You are mental and emotional. You know, you, that's what the Bible calls your flesh or your soul." But God says, "There's this other component to you that is called spirit." There's the body and the soul and the spirit. And our spirit was detached or dormant, or dead. It was non-functional because of sin. And we were just born this way. But when we receive Jesus, our spirits are regenerated. They're awakened. They're shocked. They're, they're brought back to, to, to life, and now we're fully awake and aware. You see, I connect through the, to the world through my body. I connect and experience thought and emotion and connect to others uh, through my soul. But now I can connect to and know God out of my spirit. So the question that I'll end with today, this is where we're going to land, is have you received jesus or are you rejecting jesus you can believe in him in his name and the name of a person wasn't just the way we refer to him or what we called them it was who they are the nature of the person, the essence, the character of that person. It says, when you believe in the name of Jesus, you know, like the psalmist said, some have believed in chariots, and I think it's Psalm 20, and then in Psalm 128, it repeats this language. Some have believed in horses and you know their own resources and their own power. He said, But we are those who believe in the name of God. In his name is very significant. It's kind of lost in our culture. But in Jewish thought, when you said, the, I believe in the name of a person, you were believing in them. So if you believe, as John says, in Jesus, and you receive him, your life can change. And that can be initiated and begin actually today, now. I came in this week, and I just prayed over every section in this room. And last night, I just pictured in my imagination each section in this room. And said, Lord, if there are people in this place who are rejecting Jesus... Would you move their hearts today to receive him? Maybe they're longtime members of Calvary. Maybe they're members of somebody else's church or some other movement or religion or belief system. Maybe it's all new. Maybe it's the first time you've heard something like this. But we're either rejecting Jesus or we're receiving Jesus. Here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to pray a prayer out loud that is just a model. There's nothing magic about it. But if it is the cry of your heart, if it is in sincerity where you are at this moment and what you believe and what you feel, I'm going to invite you to pray this along with me. You can just pray it out loud. And if you pray that prayer, uh, I think it may not cover all the bases for you. It may not be the exact wording you would use. You can use your own. But I hope it would give voice to maybe what Holy Spirit is doing inside you. Rejecting Jesus or receiving Jesus. Would you stand, please, and let's read this prayer out loud together. Okay, let's go. I hereby receive Jesus and surrender everything that I am and have and ever will be. I take my hands off my life and release every relationship to you, every habit, every goal, my health, my wealth, and everything that means anything. I surrender it all to you. By faith, I take my place at the cross, believing that when the Lord Jesus was crucified according to your word. I was crucified with him. When he was buried, I was buried. When he was raised, I was raised. I was raised with him. I deny myself the right to rule and to reign in my own life. I thank you for saving me from my sins And myself. From this moment on, I am trusting you to live your life in me and through me, to do what I can't do, to quit what I can't quit, and to start what I can't start. I thank you now by faith for accepting me in the Lord Jesus, for giving me your grace, your freedom, your joy, your victory, and your righteousness as my inheritance in Christ. So, even if I don't feel anything, I know that your word is true. I am counting on your spirit to do what your word says, to set me free from myself, that your resurrection life may be lived out through me and that you may receive all the glory. I thank you and I praise you in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. You prayed that prayer and you meant it for the very first time today. You have been received by Jesus. You have received Him and you're brand new. You have a new birth today. If you've done that, I'm going to ask you that Within the first 24 hours, today, let's just say today, before you go to sleep, tell somebody. Tell your roommate, somebody in your family, one of your friends, call your mama, call your cousin Ricky. Let people know. Let somebody know, hey, today was different in church for me today. At the end, I prayed a prayer to receive Jesus. I'm a Christian. If you've done that, there are several steps that we would love to help you with as you get to know, how do I move forward in Christ? I knew how to live in Adam. How do I move forward in Christ? We'd love to help you with that. There are pastors in this room. Uh, There are seasoned Christians in this room who've walked with the Lord we would love to meet with you, to sit down over a cup of coffee and talk with you. Um, had someone recently to say, I believe I'm a Christian, but what is baptism? Should I do that? Uh, how does that work? What is that for? We'd love to explain that to you. So would you do this? Would you just give us a call? Shoot us a text or an email or, or just call us or just come up to us right after the service and we'll set up a time this week where we can talk one-on-one and maybe help this begin to make sense. You have a brand new life and I pray you live that life in joy and in liberty like you've never known before. Please let us know if you made that decision today.